Welcome to the Life and Legacy Show, where we discuss all things elder law, estate, and legacy planning. Hosted by certified elder law attorney, Tim Seckler, from the Seckler Law Firm. And now your host, attorney Tim Seckler. Welcome to this week's edition of the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great estate plans. My name is Tim Seckler, and uh, if this is your first time joining us on this show... I am a uh, I'm an estate planning and elder law attorney uh, with offices in Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania, Newcastle, and Somerset, Pennsylvania. Uh, but we serve everyone across Western Pennsylvania, um, and we do this show once a week because we like to uh, to get information out there. I I, uh, I find that most of the time. When families are well-educated, they make good estate planning decisions. They plan uh, in the best interest of their family, their kids, their money, their wealth, uh, asset protection, tax planning. Uh, and, you know, when, once you get people to start moving in that direction, they'll usually take steps and, and do good planning. And so this uh, this radio show is my weekly reminder to my listeners, uh, which I hope you will become one, that you need to uh, manage this process. Estate planning is a process to be managed rather than a thing I did when the kids were little. And um, I try to teach on the show all the things I think make up an effective estate plan. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the power of a power of attorney document. Now, this is a pretty basic document, and <clears throat> it exists in pretty much every estate plan, uh, certainly every estate plan we draft. And it is uh, fundamental, but yet uh, important. And, and so we're going to get into um, a couple of things that I see people making mistakes with power of attorney documents. We're going to be getting into um, a couple of things. If you already have a document, you may want to take a look at it and review and uh, and just why we use these things. Before I get into the details of it, uh, a couple of things. One, <clears throat> you uh, you should not make legal or technical decisions, uh, financial decisions based on what you hear on this show or any other radio show for that matter. Uh, this is an educational show. Our job is to try to get you the information you need to start the estate planning process. The uh, purpose of the show is to not tell you what to do right now. If you would like to learn more about our law firm and actually get real legal advice from us, you can find out all about it at secularlawfirm.com. That's spelled S E C H. LERlawfirm.com. And on the website, you're going to find a bunch of information, um, pre recorded workshops. You can register for one of our upcoming workshops. We have a lot of blog articles on there that you may find helpful uh, if you are considering doing an estate plan. So check out the website, full of good content, secularlawfirm.com, S E C H L E R lawfirm.com. You can call us anytime, 724-841-1393. But now getting into the materials a little bit. I have my uh, my uh, five <coughs> reasons why everybody needs a power of attorney, uh, and five reasons why you need may need to update your existing power of attorney, and then some tips, some things to think about uh, with this, and uh, and so the reasons you need it, and a couple of tips on whether you can find out if you have a good one or not. And for those of you uh, that listen to us every week. And you know that I am uh, a couple of weeks post-COVID, so I apologize ahead of the time if I cough a few times during this week's episode. Um, this thing, I just can't seem to shake this cough. So, um, all right, so the power of attorney. Let's define what this thing is first. The power of attorney document 
is a document that names uh, someone called my agent to make legal and financial decisions on my behalf in the event that I can't. All right. Uh, so the power of attorney is the name of the document. Um, sometimes people, like in, in common parlance, they'll say, I am my dad's power of attorney. No, you're not. You are your dad's agent under a power of attorney, um, your dad being the principal of that power of attorney. And so, but but every day, you know, people say I'm the power of attorney. Um, and so just, uh, you know, more trivia than anything, you know, it, 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 you're not going to get any trouble calling yourself that other than to those of the people that know you just called yourself a document. But um, all right. Now, here's the thing about it. <clears throat> you need one. It's my personal opinion that everybody over the age of 18 should have a financial power of attorney because this is the document that transfers control, decision-making authority, in the event you become incapacitated. So when we're talking about estate planning documents, whether it's wills or trusts or power of attorney documents or other documents, what we're really managing is control and access. Who's making the decisions? Who's in control of me and my things? Who's got access to me and my things when? When I'm alive and well, if I become incapacitated, when I pass away, who's in control and who's got access? <coughs> now, the power of attorney document is the primary way that we transfer control in the event that I'm incapacitated. Now, you'll hear a few terms that we should probably define. Um, and you'll hear the word financial power of attorney, legal power of attorney. You'll hear the word durable power of attorney. All of these terms are pretty much referring to the same document, and that is a durable general power of attorney that allows the agent to make legal and financial decisions. Okay, now the word durable means that if I sign it today, it's effective today and it remains in effect if I later become incapacitated. So most power of attorney documents by a wide, wide margin are drafted as durable powers of attorney, which means that they are effective when executed, when signed, <clears throat> and they remain in effect if you later. Uh, would become incapacitated. That's opposed to the other type that is called a springing power of attorney. A springing power of attorney would be a document that I sign now, and the provisions of the document say that my agent has no authority until I become incapacitated. <clears throat> but the problem is that no one ever likes to admit when they become incapacitated. Uh, and so springing power of attorneys sound like the thing that everybody wants until they realize that they just don't work because I'm not going to go see your darn doctor. You're just trying to take away my car keys. And so I'm not going to admit that I'm incapacitated. So what we do is, and the way that it usually works out, particularly with seniors that need help, is we draft them as durable powers of attorney, even though the agent may not be acting right now. But gradually over time, as the person ages or as they start to slip from a, from a functional standpoint, the kids gradually, as agents, start helping more and more and more. And there's Barring like a head injury or a stroke, there's typically not a day where dad is fine today and needs help tomorrow. It's it's more gradual. It's more of a process than that. And so the durable power of attorney is the one that, that seems to make the most sense. <clears throat> now, why do you need one? Because because any of us could become disabled. So reason one is because any of us could become disabled. And, you know, for young folks, statistically speaking, in a lot of in a lot of ways, you're more likely to become disabled than you are likely to pass away young. And <coughs> Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> and so we need to have an answer for who's making the decisions if that would occur, right? So it's a document that shifts that control in that instance. <clears throat> Another reason why 
you ought to consider a power of attorney is if you would become incapacitated. Lots of married families, most married families, end up owning a lot of their assets jointly. So the idea is I have a, a jointly owned house or I have a jointly owned brokerage account, investment account. And if I would become incapacitated, my wife can still make decisions with regard to our bank account. She's got her name on the checkbook, and she can go in and do the things that she needs to do. But there's a big distinction with individually owned assets. So if you happen to be in a marriage or if you happen to be single and you have individually owned assets, we've got a real problem on our hands because if you become incapacitated, now who's going to make the decision? There is no joint owner. And the biggest uh, asset that most families own that are individually owned assets are retirement accounts. So if mom is working and dad's raising the kids, mom has a big 401k account at work or she has the IRA and dad doesn't or dad has his own IRA. But if mom becomes incapacitated, <clears throat> families, like the, the common language that people use is this is our retirement money, our retirement uh, money. But the reality is retirement accounts are individually owned assets. Sure, you might have beneficiary designated your spouse in the event you pass away, your spouse gets the money. <coughs> but if you just become incapacitated and you're still alive, that's still your money. And the financial institution often cannot just deal with your spouse just because that's the way you guys normally operate. Uh, for all the financial advisor knows, you were on the way to the divorce attorney's office when you were in your accident and you don't want your wife to have the money or you don't want your husband to have the money. And so there is not a presumption that the married spouse, that the healthier spouse can just walk into the, into the financial advisor's office and start moving money around. We might need to go to guardianship court to get control of that money again. And, you know, if you've listened to my stuff again, I, I'm pretty much a proponent that if we can avoid the courthouse, we should avoid the courthouse. And you don't want to go through guardianship. Guardianship can be an ugly process. You know, they have to drag me in there and have me declared incapacitated. But sometimes I don't think I'm incapacitated. So I'm in there arguing for my own rights. And I got my own lawyer and my wife has a lawyer. And it's just it's just ugly stuff. So if you have the opportunity to avoid guardianship by drafting a financial power of attorney, then it's worth doing it. Um, and so that that to me is like the biggest the biggest reason why you ought to have one of these if you don't is because most every adult American has some form of a retirement account. And if you become incapacitated, we got to make sure that your spouse can still get to that money uh, because we already might be down your income. And if we need to get to that money quick, uh, we don't want to have to wait until we can get a, an appointment with the judge to get guardianship. And then we don't want to have to uh, report back and forth with what we're doing with the money and all of that. Okay. Um, a, a third reason why you should probably have a financial power of attorney is convenience. Uh, not too long ago, several years ago, my wife and I went to go buy a car. <clears throat> it was one of these time periods where we had identified the car we wanted to buy. We, uh, we needed um, we, to do this week. We needed, you know, somebody wanted to buy our car or whatever. There was, there was, there was some time crunch to buy in this vehicle. And I couldn't get there. I, I was I was either out of town or I was busy with work, and I just could not get to this dealership uh, within the timeline that we wanted. So my wife went, and she took the power of attorney document with her, and she signed all the paperwork on my behalf. Uh, because remember, the power of attorney document is one of convenience. It is um, it's the ability, you know, it's effective now, and it remains an effective 
it, it remains in effect if I become incapacitated later. But we used the document that night that we jointly purchased this car, and she used the power of attorney to do it. We've also done uh, a home closing that way when we purchased a house, or it was a, it was a refinance. We refinanced, and, and it you know we were doing the bank paperwork. My wife was unavailable. I had a power of attorney document. I signed on her behalf, and and we got the the uh, the thing done. So one of convenience. Another thing for you to consider is if you have an older document, you may want to have us review that because in in the year 2015, they changed some of the ways that power of attorney documents are drafted and and the implications of some of the paragraphs in those documents. Um, And so there's different notice requirements and there's different paragraphs. And what I'm starting to see is with these older power of attorney documents, because the notice pages have changed and the structure has changed, I'm starting to see banks, when these documents are presented to the bank in the financial institution to say, you know, I'm dad's agent under the power of attorney, they're starting to then require that the document is certified um, by a lawyer that it's an effective document because it doesn't look the same as they do now. It doesn't say the same stuff as they do now. So these older documents, the, the 2015 law didn't necessarily discard the old ones. They're still effective they're practically becoming diff- more difficult to use in the financial institutions <coughs> because they don't they don't look the same and they're not quite worded the same and there were some um specific things that came out of that law that the language in your power of attorney may need to be changed so that law in 2015 did not toss out your old document but your old document may not be interpreted in the way that it used to be prior to 2015 in particular Uh, with regard to gifting, which is what I'm going to talk about uh, next. All right, so you may want to update this document because I'm seeing banks and financial institutions, if a document is more than five or six years old, they're now requiring the thing to be certified, and then you got to get a lawyer's opinion, and it's just more of a headache than it's necessary. So maybe worth uh, updating these documents. Uh, And then final reason why you probably ought to have a financial power of attorney or have us update it for you is because of um, the potential of a nursing home admission. All right. So in our practice, a significant amount of our work <clears throat> is helping families protect money, protect assets, once someone has gone into a nursing home. It could be dad has gone into the nursing home and we're trying to protect money for mom. It could be dad is in the nursing home, mom's not around anymore, but we're trying to protect money from the kids because... Well, in most families, dad didn't work his whole life to give all the money to the state or to give all the money to the nursing home. And so if we can take steps to protect those funds, we're usually going to do it. And so um, here's why that matters. And and here's just sort of a practical example of why you need a really good one. Uh, Lots of potential clients, when they come into our office, and it's a family that we really don't know yet, We're trying to figure out if we're the right fit for them. They're trying to figure out the same. And we're reviewing old estate planning documents. When I review these documents, I'm often looking for a provision regarding the ability to gift money, to gift assets, real estate. And why this is important is one of the 2015 rule changes made gifting what we call sort of a hot power or something that needs to be very expressly defined. And it created a default rule in Pennsylvania. The default rule in Pennsylvania is is limited gifting, which means if the agent if the document says things like my agent may give gifts or my agent may give limited gifts, there could be a, a reference to an IRS code section in there. 
What that means is limited gifting, which which is interpreted as fifteen thousand dollars a year to the individuals uh, under that paragraph. So so um, the here here's where that matters. <clears throat> Let's say I meet a family where dad's in the nursing home, mom's in the community, and the family wants to know: Is there anything we can do to protect money for mom? We're going through twelve or fourteen thousand dollars a month to this nursing home, and mom's going to run out of money. We need to take steps to protect her. Um, and we're almost always in that fact pattern going to end up giving money from dad to mom. It almost always from a Medicaid standpoint makes sense to transfer assets out of the sick spouse's name and into the healthy spouse's name. Now there could be some caveats. Don't go do that just because you heard this radio show, but that makes sense in a lot of cases. And so when we go to do that, or, or perhaps it makes sense uh, and some fact patterns to transfer assets to the kids, the adult kids. Well, that's a gift, right? If we're taking it out of dad's social security number and we're putting it into mom's social security number, we're putting it into the kid's social security number, that's technically a gift. And if the power of attorney document says, I can only give the son Johnny $15,000, but we could save the house by being able to give Johnny the house, which is worth, say, $200,000, I want to give Johnny a $200,000 home, but the power of attorney document limits me to be able to give him $15,000. Well, this family is in danger of now losing a $200,000 home because the power of attorney didn't have any muscle in it. And so I feel real strongly for my senior clients, if you're concerned about asset protection, if you're concerned about what would happen going into a nursing home and can we protect money, the way I advise my clients and the way I would encourage you to at least consider is you, you you might want to consider having an unlimited gifting paragraph in the document that authorizes the gifting of unlimited amounts of money to effectuate a proper nursing home elder law Medicaid plan. Just something for your consideration. Don't go try to draft this language yourself. This is a, a custom thing that we do, but it's an important thing we do because if now when dad walks into the, uh, when the clients walk in, and uh, dad's in the nursing home. We're trying to protect money. Now, if we have an unlimited gifting paragraph, we there's no question with regard to our ability to transfer money, to be able to protect that money from um, this potential nursing home issue. We have the authority. We've got the legal muscle we need to make the moves that we need to make in order to save that home. And so that's a big takeaway. I urge you, if you're listening to this show, and you have an old power of attorney document. Maybe you haven't looked at it in five or ten years. Maybe it's maybe you know it was drafted longer than that. Maybe you're not confident with the lawyer that did the thing for you that they really do this stuff, but they were just doing you a favor by giving you a power of attorney. <clears throat> you ought to review that document. If you printed something off the internet, you ought to really review that document. But <clears throat> the power of attorney you ought to at least consider having unlimited gifting language in there because that that one paragraph in that one document may be the paragraph we need in order to protect your house from um, that nursing home expense. Okay. Um, A couple of other helpful provisions that I like to see in documents and in the power of attorney document is the ability to deal with financial institutions, the ability to deal with insurance companies. Sometimes, you know, and, and this is not a cookie-cutter thing. This is not something that, that everybody gets the same thing. We, we want to consider the family's fact pattern, the ability to <clears throat> deal with financial institutions. Should we grant our agent the ability 
to make legal and financial decisions? Should we, should we grant them the ability to change beneficiaries? Should we grant them the ability to act as my trustee in the trust if we do a trust, right? So, so there's these little nuances in a well-drafted estate plan that we have to think about. You know, and, and this, like, really gets me to the point <clears throat> that um, I would like to make, and that is not all estate plans are drafted the same. Uh, I will meet people, and they find out that I'm an estate planning lawyer, and they'll say, oh, yeah, I have a will. Or, or people come in and say, oh, I don't need a power of attorney. I have one. Okay, um, let's read it. Let's read it together. Bring it in. Let's take a look at this thing, and let's figure out if it's any good. Because just telling me that you have a power of attorney document is a little bit like telling me you have a car, right? Well, there's lots of different cars. There's big ones. There's little ones. There's fast ones. There's strong ones. There's there's minivans and SUVs and pickup trucks and sports cars. There's motorcycles. Like, you, you tell me you have a car, that doesn't help me narrow it down much, and there's a lot of nuances there. And an estate plan is kind of the same way. I have a power of attorney. So I'm good, right? Well, I don't know. Does it have gifting language? Was it drafted before 2015 or after 2015? Does it have the ability to deal with irrevocable trust? Does it have the ability to um, to deal with insurance companies or beneficiary designations? These are things that I would have to like take a look at it and <clears throat> determine if we need to make some changes based on you know our conversation with you about your goals and your concerns. Um, and so there is a difference between having a document and having an estate plan. This is the biggest problem with some of the online deals is you go on the online thing or you go to the attorney that does traffic tickets on Tuesday and wills on Wednesday, and <clears throat> you get a document. But was it really a well-thought-out plan? Did we take into account the ability to deal with beneficiary designations on that retirement account? Because the will doesn't govern the retirement account unless we make it govern the retirement account. Or does the power of attorney that this guy just printed off for me and is asking me to sign, does it allow me to save my home in the event my wife ends up in the nursing home? Um, and a, a well-thought-out estate plan is comprised of documents, but it's more than the documents. It's the goal-setting and the conversation they got us to the point of drafting those documents. And then it's the ongoing maintenance of those documents. The other night I did a, a, a presentation for our Red Wagon Club. So our Red Wagon Club are our existing clients who don't see this thing as just a one-time transaction, and they know that they need to update it from time to time, and they want to be apprised of changes in the law. Well, we offer an access program called the Red Wagon Club where – we provide monthly education to our clients, and we offer them a once-a-year sit-down. Let's review everything. Let's make sure you get it. I know you got it last year, but this is perishable, so let's just review and make sure that we're still on the same page. Has there been any change in your law and whatnot? And, and the reason that my law firm does it that way <clears throat> is because that's the right way to do it. There's way too many uh, folks out there that will sell you a document and then – um, just say, call you, call us when you need us, but they don't even know when they need you. You know, anyway, I'll get off my soapbox a little bit, but the point is that this is a process to be managed and the state plan is a process. It is a series of decisions over time that reflect your changing goals and your de desires based on what's going on in your family, based on what's going on with the law. And we need to update the documents. So the documents are just a living reflection of our current goals, but the goals change over time. And so, so should the plan. Um, and if you want to find out more about all of that, you should come 
to one of our upcoming workshops. Uh, we do them right in our office. We do them uh, just about every week or every other week we're doing a workshop. And we invite you in um, free, low pressure. Come to our office, enjoy a cup of coffee and a cookie. And let's talk about this stuff. Let's dig in a little bit. Uh, and, you know, I'm usually the attorney that does them. And I try to keep it light. I try to keep it informative. We try to keep you uh, entertained. And, you know, as far as an hour conversation or an hour and a half conversation about death and dying, I happen to think it's a pretty good one. It's pretty informative, and, and, it's, uh, and, and people are usually happy that they came. And if you come to the workshop and um, we're saying the right things and you've learned a lot, then the anticipation would be that you would schedule a free consultation with us, and then we'll walk you through. The workshop gave you general information. The free consultation is where we get into the specifics about your specific family, your goals, your desires, and what your customized estate plan actually needs to say. So you can find out more about our workshops at secklerlawfirm.com, S-E-C-H-L-E-R, lawfirm.com, or give us a shout at 724-841-1393. I hope this was uh, a good episode. I hope you learned a few things. I hope if you have an old power of attorney, I might have moved you off the couch and got you moving toward doing a new one because I have seen families lose their home over poorly drafted powers of attorney, and I don't want that to be your family. So uh, come, check out our workshops. We'll get you set up with a good estate plan that can that can live with you over time. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, let's get this thing done right. So please remember, don't make any decisions based on what you heard on this or any other radio show. This is general information, not legal advice. If you'd like some legal advice, give our law firm a call at 724-841-1393. Thanks for listening this week. We'll check you out right here next week. This has been the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great plans. SecklerLawFirm.com or call 724-841-1393.